Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Welcome, everybody, to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm going to try something new. Do you guys watch Stephen Colbert ever? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to try something new. You guys will appreciate this. To my left, our director of community engagement and creepy number one fan who somehow lives next door, Mr. Mo Dingo. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> to my right, our director of outreach and angry Italian in front of you at Starbucks, Mr. Tony DeSero. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and across from me, our audio engineer and man with more aliases than a baby naming book, Mr. Trip Turlington. Yo! <laughs> Amazing. I apologize in advance for my voice. I'm sure you guys can tell I'm a little under the weather. These the news said we have a perfect storm of allergies, and I am feeling it. Yeah, you yeah. can just stay over on that side of the room <laughs> for once. Gonna, I, my 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 voice isn't nearly as gravelly as it usually is. Yeah, on, on Monday I have a rental car because my other car is in the shop, but it's a blue car. And when I came out on Monday, it was like green. Yeah, <laughs> covered my, with pollen. Yeah, car, yeah. covered wow. with pollen. Yep, yeah. My blue yeah. car was also covered in green. You could like right wash me in it. Yeah, <laughs> my green was covered in green. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. <laughs> Joking. I'm just kidding. It was Ayo. <laughs> so today we're just doing a random ask me anything episode. So we reached out to our VIP list, which you can sign up for at passionatedj.com. That's our mailing list slash newsletter, uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And just took random questions from you guys. And we're going to answer them off the top of our heads. So that's what we're doing. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, Trip, do you mind to read us the first question in the list? Uh, looks like from the VIP list, we've got Rock, Rock, Rockstar, DJ Prince. Uh, and his question is, is, how can I set up a basic home studio? Please mention everything, the software, the hardware, the required plugins, etc. in detail. Okay. So uh, for production, I assume, music production, not necessarily DJing, it's not entirely clear, but since he mentions plugins and stuff, I assume that's yeah. where we're headed. Um, and, and we kind of, uh, you know, I know that AMA is supposed to kind of be off the top of our heads, but we did kind of uh, shuffle this one around. In, yeah, in we had our, to compile the list, so we yeah, saw them. And, and <laughs> we, we shuffled some ideas back and forth on this one. Um, I, I would say, you know... Uh, first, first and foremost, as far as DJ equipment is concerned, we've got those two, um, baller on a budget, baller on a budget <laughs> and, and balling out, out of control episodes. Uh, so whether you've got a lot of money or not a lot of money, there's uh, some ideas to actually fill in, you know, what we're, I'm going to, I would say, let's keep this kind of generic and say these are the items that you would need and then refer back to those episodes sure. for actual models and things like that but um you know i so using myself as a as an example i've got a dj and production kind of setup here uh as far as djing is concerned you know i've got the mixer uh, a couple of turntables uh, my mixer is actually a controller but it doesn't have to be a controller laptop um and then on the production side, um, I've got, you know, a, a basic 25 key uh, MIDI controller uh, and um, laptop. The same laptop that I use for DJing, I use for production. A uh, couple of uh, screens and then uh, a couple of, pro uh, of studio monitors. Um, and I've got an, an audio interface. So once you put all of that together, um, that's pretty much all you really need for the, the hardware side of things. If you're, once you start talking about production though, then, you know, 
you you could get into all kinds of things, you know. So you've got a DAW, which could be Ableton, could be Stu uh, FL Studio, could be Logic, could be uh, what's the other Pro one? Tools. Pro Tools, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, plugins could be, you know, ranging from you know a handful to thousands. I mean, there's so many out there; it doesn't even be, we couldn't even begin to cover it here. Um, Would the tools be dependent upon what type of music or? Nah, well, kind of. So the as far as plugins are concerned, whatever kind of music you write, everybody's going to need some kind of EQ, some kind of compression, some kind of limiting. You know, some types of effects, you know, are pretty standard, you know, like delays and, and uh, reverbs and things and like most that. Most DAW software these days comes with a comes really with, hefty set of stock plugins. Right. Like, I mean, Ableton is like you out of the box. You're pretty much good to go. Right. And right. just for reference, the DAW software digital uh, digital audio workstation is what daw stands for um so rather than just your basic audio editing like something like audacity does it actually supports you know multi clock and yep, multi-track yep, yep, and yep. sequencing and it's more fully fledged studio software right so that's we're talking like ableton and all yeah, that ableton right, right, cubase right. and yeah fl studio and whatever and on the DJ side, uh, the software that's really needed over there is only necessary if you're going to be a digital DJ. So if you're going to be mixing with CDs or, tur or uh, turntables with uh, records, you don't really need any software on that side. If you are, if you're whether you're going DVS or digital, then that's where you get into your Tractor, Serato, uh, Virtual DJ, Record Box. Um, uh, record box with the, uh, with DJ. the DVS, yeah, hack, right, right, right. right. So, um, you know, I mean, and, and as we were talking about this one, we all kind of said, wow, that's going to be <laughs> like a big one to kind of tackle. Cause he wants to know everything. Um, well, really, you know, I mean, but, it kind of depends, sorry to cut you off, but it, I mean, it no, kind of no, depends because really all you need is a computer right? and you can get started. I mean, if you've, if you've got a basic laptop and, and garage band or something like that, yeah. you can, you can yeah. make an album right now. Yeah. yeah. I was messing around with it on my phone the other day. It's actually pretty, yeah. pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can you can do pretty good on a tablet or phone anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but if you, uh, my personal recommendation would be start with software. You know, most of them have some kind of free demo, free trial, or are, it's just free, right. you know. Right. So you can kind of try out a few, see what kind of workflow that you like. And then when you start feeling like you're hitting limitations, start buying stuff. Right. And right. probably starting with audio interface because uh, that's where you're, latency is going to come from if you get a high-end you know usb two or three or some kind of you know external audio interface like that you'll have lower latency you'll have better drivers you'll be able to do multi-channel recording and all that kind of fun stuff um, and when and it comes to interfaces i mean I, I i know i said i wanted to stay away from brands but i have to say that i've i've had nothing but uh good experiences with the scarlet series from focus right um, you and a lot of people yeah i mean and 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 it's not that it's just a good interface. It's it's far from the top of the line, but for a budget, for somebody on a budget, there it it really is a a, a great line of high quality uh, gear at, yeah. at a decent price. And then the next uh, small hurdle you probably run into after that will be some kind of MIDI controller, only because you know a small keyboard or something like that it doesn't have to be expensive, right? Um, even if you don't play keys, because that gives you something to kind of twiddle around on right. instead of clicking a mouse and sometimes having that ability to jam, even if you don't really know what you're doing is yeah. pretty helpful. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, that's one of the first things that I learned as I got into production that, you know, yeah, you can do a lot of things with mouse clicks, but yeah. you know, once you have like 
you know, even just 25 keys, you know, to your point, just something that you can tangibly put your hands on and just kind of, you yeah. know, twiddle, twiddle your fingers around and turn some knobs. It, 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 it has a different perspective to it. You know, I, I grew up playing piano, but what actually made me buy a MIDI controller wasn't the keys. It was the knobs and sliders on top of the sure, keyboard because sure. I wanted to be able to do filter sweeps and stuff right. and record mm-hmm. that automation. That was what stopped me. I was perfectly happy programming melodies and stuff with my mouse. <laughs> right. When it came to that, it was like, uh, I kept going back to all my little automation sweeps and like drawing them out with my mouse and stuff. And I'm like, I could have just done this in one take. Right, right. So those are the, the two, probably the first two things that you'll you'll start noticing that you'll want, uh, if at all. Beyond that, it's pretty much toys, I think. It's do you want hardware synths and, you know, right. fun stuff. Oh, and good monitors would, would probably be good Yeah, as well. that's what I would, I would say, um, you know, for anybody and a decent set of headphones. I mean, uh, depending on what you're doing. So if you're, if you're DJing, go with a high quality closed back. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, Pioneer, Sony, um, techniques, even, um, the, those and Sennheiser. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different brands out there. Um, Shure actually makes a, a, a good headphone too. Um, but, uh, for DJing, you want the closed back so that you can isolate noise from outside of the headphones right. for production. It's good to have two sets of reference headphones if you've got that kind of money. If all you can really work with is your DJ headphones as your reference headphones, um, then you can reuse those. But if you can afford a second set and go with um, an open back, um, that will also, if you're going to do long periods of production, then it, it reduces ear fatigue and uh, allows you to maintain a sense of space mm. um, so that you're not over reverbing things, um, yeah. uh, overusing reverb in, in your uh, in your production. And then talking it, about monitors, I think, Dave, you mentioned an experience where you had produced a song and hadn't played it out on a club system. Yes. And so that, I mean, that's that brings me kind of up to my next point. Um, when it comes to the studio set up for production. Uh, the KRK rockets are pretty much like the universal budget standard. So entry level standard. Yeah, yeah. It's a good place to start. And a lot of people never move on from that. They're perfectly, I mean, they're easy to reference. Everybody knows what they sound like. And the only thing I will say to that, and, and, and this is coming from somebody who has, you know, KRKs in my studio right now is that they're not flat. And that's one of the things that you have to know about KRKs um, or any studio uh, reference monitor when you purchase them is that the flatter the response, the more accurate your mixes will be. Um, KRKs are notoriously low-end heavy, mm-hmm. so it's really easy to for your final mixes to be ba- to not have as much bass in them because you're hearing too much bass when you're doing your mix downs. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people over or undercompensate for that, and 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 you have what we call thin mixes, uh, where everything's really high in the high end and in the mid range. That's why I sent my mix to you because I have KRKs and just in that little cutout in that room where I play, it's it's almost like a like a, a little yeah, bass vacuum. vacuum. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but um, so I mean, don't get me wrong. I love KRK. I mean, they're entry level budget. I mean, it's 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 it, they're they're great for that. But just know for DJing, that's it's one thing, you know, but for uh, production, you got to have um, that in mind and, and really rely on uh, yeah. some other tools to get your mix uh, to get your mix downs flat. And now all that being said, uh, to that point, 
and I'm probably going to piss off some other producers and like audiophiles and stuff by saying this, but a lot of people put a lot of um, attention and effort into the room because the room, you know, treating the room that you're in is going to have way bigger effect on the sound. Like Absolutely. you were saying, Tony, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're sitting in that corner and it's kind of the, the shape of the waves and the size of the, the sound waves is such that it's given you a, a boost like a in those frequencies. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the it, same concept. Yeah. yeah. I um, mean, and, and really, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of, uh, production education institutions out there that, uh, when you take their classes online, like Warp Academy, for example, um, if you take their mix and mix and master class with Jake Perrine, who wrote the book on mixing and mastering with Ableton Live, I mean that's one of the the core concepts is that you know the type of monitor you have is not nearly as important as the treatment of the room, and and. There's, but there that comes with the caveat. I mean, it, it's a balance. Um, I'm, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to take it a step further. And say, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry, I'm Let's not kick done. it up a notch. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're not going to get you know super great mix downs from your MacBook speakers. What? Right. There is a but. limit. But all that being said, personally, what I think is more important than good monitors, good room, any of that stuff is mixing on what you know. True. So, um, and. Not only that, but checking multiple sources. Absolutely. So when I first bought, I've, I've had the same Alpi- or event ALP5s uh, monitors for, I don't know, a decade or something. Sure. Um, before that, I was using just like a really ghetto hi-fi like uh, amp from the 70s plugged into a couple of floor speakers and then like yep. six by nines in a box <laughs> with vacuum tubes you know yeah it was like yeah. old school but i knew what that sounded, sounded like. like right and so i everything came out okay and then i would go check it in my car check it in the living room i was check it just in getting ready to say there's every producer knows the car test it's always the car if you test. get in the car and it sounds like crap then you're not done and you know what your car sounds if you're like right. me you know what your car sounds that's like that's right you get used to whether it's stock whether you've built it out whatever it is you know you know when it doesn't sound right right <laughs> well and the best part about you know current technology is that you know if you've got a headphone jack uh, in your car, then you can take, you know, it, you your know, laptop. an auxiliary cable, yep. take your laptop out to the car and just plug it right on in. <laughs> mine, mine, I just say Bluetooth streaming and it just <laughs> fires right. <laughs> up. Not the best for audio quality, but it works. Right, right. Um, but that hi-fi system, when I switched from that to the actual studio monitors that I still use today, it was a huge struggle for me. Like I got the learning up, curve. I got yeah. an upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got an upgrade. But it took me a long time to rec- I For a long time, I still kept coming up with crappy mixes. I finally had to add a sub because I was used to exaggerated bass. Right. And so I was overcompensating. Right. And everything was blah, 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 just muddy when I play in the car or whatever. So, so you invented dubstep? Yes. <laughs> and thus, dubstep was born. <laughs> uh, I was hanging out with Benga and... Uh... <laughs> I was like, hey, listen to my mix. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and I had the same I had the same problem uh, when I moved to studio monitors because yeah. I had a similar setup. I didn't have six by nines. You got me on that one. I had um, they floor, were pioneer. If yeah. that helps, <laughs> right? I had I had Technique uh, floor speakers had the dual twelves or maybe it was dual tens or something like that, and then you know three ways. But then on top of that, then I had these two like shelf system like 
speakers that like I just set yeah. on top of that because you know more speakers means better. Of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no. it's surround and, sound, but it's right. stereo, and, and had it all you know hooked up similarly to a yeah. to one of those uh, amp outboard amplifiers, you know, uh, home theater systems or whatever. And um, when I moved to KRK, the biggest hindrance for me was getting used to hearing so much detail. There's, mm. you know, that sense of space and just everything from when when you're sitting at, in the sweet spot of some stu- good or even entry level decent studio monitors, all of a sudden the amount of detail and the sense of space you get, it, it's it, it it's mind blowing how much yeah. you're missing, you know, between the car and 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 loudspeakers and PA speakers. I still have that. It, I know that it's weird to to complain about the clarity, but. Right. I, I know oh. what you're talking about because yeah. I still have that trouble where I'll go down and I'll make a bunch of real subtle, intricate stuff and then I'll go listen to it elsewhere. I'm like, where did all that go? <laughs> it's gone. Like, what the, so you what realize the you have to exaggerate some of that stuff yeah, to yeah. hear it and yeah. other stuff you got to back down. So yeah, it's, it's an adjustment for sure. Yeah, so no since doubt. we're kind of digging in here, when you guys are talking about monitors, do size or number have an impact? Depends. Number um, is two. I'm sorry. Two, no, two monitors. Yeah, sure. two monitors. Two monitors. Unless you so want like, a set of reference monitors and then you know another pair to check, but right. you only want to run stereo. If you're yeah, if you're going to run multiple pairs of monitors, then they need to be of different brand. Um, and, and, oh, so like a sanity check type thing. Right, yeah, right, okay. right. Like it, it's like it, doing the car test, like a mini version of the car test, right there. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, but as far as size is concerned. Um, it totally depends on the size of the room, whether or not your room is treated. You know, a lot of people, you know, go balls out and and get eight or you know eight inch monitors and and they don't need them. Uh, that I, to be perfectly honest, that's what I did. Um, you know, there's no reason for eight inch monitors in this room, especially that I've got a ten inch sub underneath. And my so, fives were were pretty light on the low end. My five inch uh, woofers, so I added a sub, right. which most people will yell at you for. But right, right, I did it anyway. So screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I'm David Michael. I do what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> um. So yeah, but um. So the size matters only in that it needs to. Eat, it needs to be able to give the right response for the for the entire frequency spectrum within your room. Okay. So, you know, if you can get away with some six inch monitors, then great. You know, you may have to uh, or you may want to you know throw a sub just to kind of fill in the low end that a six inch yeah. woofer can't um, can't produce. But even then you want to keep that like ton- toned all the way down. You won't want to turn up on a sub yeah um for fear of uh uh, exaggerating that um so so do you have any uh off the top of your head any references that people can look on the internet to find out in terms of room shape size and possible treatment well the the worst thing for sound waves is a square room (laughs) (laughs) so and unfortunately most rooms are square square. (laughs) um but really, I mean, there there are some uh, resources online um, that, that like I've got a link for, you know, the quote unquote uh, poor man's treatment. You can treat an entire room for 300 bucks or okay. less. Uh, and it's mostly rock wool. It's not pretty like it, it's not going to look nice, but it's it's a it doesn't matter what it looks like when you're dropping hot fire, though. That's right. That fire <laughs> but, and, uh, like styrofoam and egg cartons don't actually help you. It, 
<laughs> right, right. So, um, so I'll throw that link up, and then um, I've got a couple of other links for like people who have a little bit more time and money to to throw at it as far as yeah. um, uh, uh, as far as treating a room. But I mean, all in all, the the very basics of it are that you don't want base waves to get trapped in corners. That's why they're called base traps. Um, and Tony's sitting in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then you also want um, to uh, kill a bunch of the reflection, you know, diffusion uh, from the, corners. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so stuff like this bookshelf sitting next to us is good. Yeah, you know, right. anything that makes it the walls uneven, like this room is really jagged that we're sitting in because there's stuff all over the walls. There's a lot of furniture and stuff. So it probably really helps actually. Right. right. Um, some some studios you'll see like uh, uh, some people have these like really fancy looking. It looks like a piece of art if it's been done right, um, but it's it's called a diffuser and they put it uh, in the corner. It, no, oh. right directly behind you on the wall behind you, okay. and it looks like a bunch of squares at a bunch of different like you know yeah, different depths. depths. So it deflects the sound in different directions. Right, right, okay. and uh, I mean. If, so, so I yeah. think the, the 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 quick short answer to the question is start with software. You can do that for free usually, so no big deal if you've already got a computer. Yeah. Uh, probably move on to audio interface from there, yeah. and then probably headphones or monitors are most important. But MIDI controllers are cheap. Yeah. So yep. it's kind of your choice from there, and then uh, the world's your oyster. Yep. Agreed. And uh, and then for you start uh, dropping hot fire. That's right. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> immediately <laughs> um and for uh dj prince if, if 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 that wasn't enough for you or if you want a little bit more detail then by all means uh, email any one of us or or you know hit us back up and you know i i mean we just sat here and nerded out on that you know and that's just the first question you know so <laughs> right. i mean all of us love talking about this stuff we would love to you know uh help you out even further if 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 that if you need some more clarity on any of those points Okay, next up from the VIP list, DJ Gemmo. This is an interesting one. As a DJ playing gospel music only, how can I be successful or get the world to know me? That's an mm. interesting question. In some ways, it's like, well, probably the same way as anyone else. But that's also, the question's also kind of like, how do I become a successful DJ? Which is like... That's a tough one That's to answer, right? No question. matter what your yeah. genre is, no matter what your approach or style, right. there's a lot of us. <laughs> and, right, you right. Know, you have to carve something out and become the king of that niche. Now, I don't know what the gospel DJing sect is like. That's what I was going to say. Like for me, that's that that's that's kind of a hard one to to answer because you know what are your gigs at that point like i mean what are your gigs and what what style of music are we talking about really are we talking about like twangy country gospel or are we talking about dancey like uh kirk franklin gospel or like right, what, what, right. what are we talking about here you know do you have this like niche thing where like okay like are you the dj at a church in lieu of a live band or, you know, right. and, and you're trying to expand that idea out to other churches or to right. other like church events or, you know, what like without knowing all of the all of the particulars, I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to struggle. I mean, let's keep it real here. Um, the number one DJ in the world, mm -hmm. quote unquote, is all due to marketing. That's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, I mean, they can be good. They can be horrible. Right. But you have a million dollar marketing concept behind you. You're the number one DJ in the world. 
Right. You know? Right. Um, and definitely be the best at what you do or try to become the best at what you do. But in this world, I believe in the entertainment world, it's 80% of it's marketing. Sure. Yeah. And now we all have different definitions of what successful means, but he also does say, how do I get the world to know me? Well, that's the eternal question. Wouldn't we all like to know that? Like how to be super prolific and have everybody know us and be a house, household name. Sure. Um, you know, well, if, if we could answer that, we'd be doing different things right now. But. <laughs> a bomb ass photo shoot. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well, I, I mean, it's like, it's like, um, Step one, <laughs> bomb ass photo shoot. <laughs> Step two, question marks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's like, I, I, along with marketing, I think a lot of that is also uh, networking. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always a, a huge component of all of this. You know, all of your quote unquote overnight successes are never an overnight success. Like, I mean, there's there's the far and few between rarities, but for the most part, people who seem to just blow up overnight have actually been working at something for years beforehand yeah, right. and working on that network to get to know the right person to get them where they want to be, you know? So like, uh, you know, in, in the gospel music kind of, uh, scene, if you will, whether that's churches or, or, uh, whatever kind of, uh, events require that kind of music, you know, it's, are, uh, do you have competition or are there yeah. people that you could network to, to get, you know, build onto these like bigger events, you know, you, in the, in the, in, in the age of, um, evangelism where we've got these televangelists that are humongous, you know, your Joel Osteen's, your TD Jakes and all of those guys, like, you know, I don't know if they use DJs, but if they did, that might be <laughs> how you get the world. For you. Yeah, that yeah. might be how you get the world to know you, right? Yeah. And how do you get to know TD Jakes? How do you get to know Joel Osteen? How do you get to those types of networks? Even if you never make it onto the TV show, I bet you know those. Those are the types of things. You know, if you've got the proper marketing and you can yeah. make those those connections within your network, you know, and and I may be just you know shooting for the stars or the moon there, but you know, there's, there's logical steps from here to there. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you got to figure those steps out and make those relationships and and make those connections with the right people. And bring it down to bring it down to earth a little bit. No pun intended. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, If using my more general definition of successful DJ, which is um, happy and, landing gigs and, you know, maybe making money or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do or to minister. I'm not sure what the angle is, but, um, probably kind of starting your own events, just like we do, you know, we recommend to people who don't have a scene, you know, nightclub scene and stuff that probably still applies. So I would start thinking about who needs a DJ and gospel music at the same time. And that might be, you might find yourself in more of a music director position or something like that at a church or, um, you know, maybe you do some kind of, you know, show up at different youth groups and, and do some kind of event, you know, on a tour. I, I mean, there's a number of ways that you could go about it. Right. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, you're probably going to have to take some kind of charge and be a little entrepreneurially minded. Entrepreneurially? Is that a word? I don't know. I, I think so. Mind of an entrepreneur. 
Um, even if your approach is not to make money, just to have that kind of take charge. This is my thing that I'm creating and curating. Right. Figure out what that is and then go from there. Because I think that's probably going to be the approach that you need to take only because at least where we're from, uh, you know, gospel music is not super popular in a, like a pop music or dance kind of way, right. which is how I'm having trouble getting my head around what else it but, would be. But for so, me, like the question is why, what is it you're trying to do? Yeah, exactly. You know, figure out your why, figure out your why and then start from there. Because if you just want to be a popular DJ, we can do that playing any kind of music. It just takes, you know, the marketing, the connections, and sometimes being at the, right place at the wrong yeah. time and some luck and some yeah. well, a lot of luck yeah. you know i'd right. argue i mean there's some skill involved i don't you know i'm sure we can all agree on that oh yeah absolutely but a lot of it is just luck and timing but primarily falling back on your why why do you want to do this sure you know, once you once you figure that out then you can figure out what you're going to do to accomplish this goal and and make it fulfilling yeah to, definitely. to that why yeah. yeah okay joseph halliday from facebook asks what are your thoughts on the death of the MP3 format and what it could mean for DJs? Well, dun, there goes dun, my dun. career. It's over. Because I have like two records. Hang up your headphones. There's no death of the MP3 format. Um, well, maybe right. we should clarify That's, this whole Because there's thing. a difference between no longer developing on something or, or, no licensing. More, or, or licensing or no longer enhancing something like, you know, there, there's a difference between that and then just saying, ah, that's dead. We're not, people still have and play CDs, you know, like so people still have and play vinyl. Nobody has eight tracks anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, when I read that article, it just seemed like it was it was hyped up because it was you know something to hype. Yeah, there there were a lot of clickbaity headlines yes. around yeah. this, like the death of MP3, and it's not it, it's not the death. Like your MP3s aren't going to stop working. Right. Your Windows Media Player and iTunes isn't going to stop playing MP3s. Right. What it, the argument could be made that. It, it could become more popular only because since the licensing is expiring, that means people don't have to keep paying for that encoder license for MP3 codecs in their software. So like Ableton, FL Studio, all those, they're not allowed to include MP3 capability without buying a license. Right. And that's right. what's expiring. Right. And so that's why if you ever use Audacity, they make you install the lame codec lame.dll they make you do that separately because they're not allowed to bundle it because it's open source right so that's not going to be a thing anymore so it's actually going to become somewhat more accessible as if it wasn't already so and and you know with with all of the software that we have and as prominent of a of a file type that mp3 has become like it's it, it it's everywhere like yeah you know, it, it would it would not be in anyone's best interest to stop supporting or stop using MP3s. Like so, right. you know, while the, uh, one of the articles that I read said that you know the the argument is to go in favor of um, AACs, yeah, the more lossless or other file types that you know you can still. Uh, compressed down into a smaller file, but still not lose as much in, in the compression process. But, you know, still, I mean, you know, a 320 MP3 is a 320 MP3. Yeah. And I mean, it, 
I mean, that's what my entire library consists of. <laughs> like, yeah. I never buy lossless just because of the extra expense. <laughs> yeah. And to, to answer the second part of the question, I think what we'll see, you know, development-wise is um, we'll see more DJ uh, software, hardware, whatever, manufacturers supporting various new formats, formats right, in right. a more prominent way. Yeah. You know, uh, better lossy formats like uh, MP4, AAC, right. um, even the .ogg is a pretty good one. Um, you know, we'll see it, in loss, uh, lossless formats too, like FLAC, they're are still slowly picking up steam. Mm -hmm. And so any of those taggable music files that are going to give you more quality for less space, uh, you're going to start seeing more of that widespread adoption. But also, people are caring a little bit less about the space that it takes up because everybody's bandwidth is, you know, internet bandwidth is going up. Everybody's storage is cheap now. Right. Yeah. So, it's and that's the point I was going to make because I think the first time I ever saw an MP3 format was like in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> and back then, my computer was like a 286 SX and I think I had like a 200 megabyte hard drive. <laughs> yeah. So right. when the MP3 came around and instead of having wave format songs, which were probably like, I don't know, 20 meg. Um, for a short one. For a short, for a, for short, a, for yeah. a three minute song. <laughs> now all of a sudden I could get uh, songs that were one meg that, you know, for the untrained ears sounded about the same. So that's why this format was created but from the artistry and professional standpoint when you compress all that data into a smaller subset you lose things and um if you look at episode 14 uh if you guys reflect on that he plays different formats that way you could hear the information that you were losing when you compress the formats so fast forward to 2017 where my phone has more memory than a thousand of my computers put together, <laughs> let alone their processing power. And the real estate on your hard drive isn't as much of an issue anymore. Right. So having a, a wave format or a lossless format, plus you get all that sound enhanced sound quality, it's become less of an issue. So, but when you hear quote unquote, the death of the MP3, uh, I'll give you for instance, like my vehicle, I have, I have a particular type of Jeep and they stopped making it about 10 years ago but they still make parts to fix it. And I've still been driving it. Right. right. You know, so because I'm like, well, that's the death of Jeeps. Yeah. And then boom, <laughs> it just stopped. It, just, it didn't just disintegrate one day or, or the Jeep police came and snatched it from me because they weren't, because they weren't selling it anymore. We revoked your Jeep license. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's not the quote, the death in, in the respect that, yeah, the licensing is going away, but the format will still be there. People will still produce stuff in MP3s and upload them because yeah. they're, it's fast. It's cheap. It's and convenient it's small. and it's and it's universal to, to David's point. I mean, to wrap that whole idea up, clickbait is clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> Trip, you mind to read our next one there? Uh, yeah. So Matthew Salinas from Facebook asks, what are some labels we should be keeping eyes on in genres of jungle and house? Oh, so that's a good question. I don't follow a lot of labels really closely, even though I feel like I should. Where's Jack? <laughs> yeah. Um, if Jack were in the room, I would uh, venture to say that he... Uh, no, no, no. I, I would say he would uh, most likely say Lightless Recordings. Mm. Um, uh, it's run by uh, DJ Fanu. Uh, he's... We're talking jungle and drum and bass. Yeah, right now, jungle so. and drum and bass. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
and Jack has a release on 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 mm. that uh, label. Nice. Really high quality stuff. Uh, a lot of it's kind of heady, um, uh, even halftime, but and, and really dark, but like not like super in your face Neuroy type of stuff. So it's 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 really good, mature sounding. Uh, it, it's a really great catalog uh, that he's curated over there. Um, for me though, like I just, you know, I'm the same way I, as, as you, David, I, I, I don't really, I, I follow some labels, but like most of them are the, the typical labels. So like your Ram, your hospital, your, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's uh, kind of like that for me with, with metalheads and stuff like that. House I just, and tech house too. It's like, you know, your hot creations and your, right, your typical right. but, stuff. You know, so as far as labels are concerned, I just I, 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 I my biggest problem with that, with with following labels specifically, is that if I get too wrapped up in a label and that's all I look at, you then I miss something. all. Yeah, I miss all kinds of stuff. So like when I do my record shopping uh, or MP3 shopping, as it were, um, I I would I will always like just go and plug in some search parameters for whatever genre I'm looking for. And then I sit there for a while, once a week, every week, and I just click through. I don't worry about what the label is. I don't worry about who the artist is. If it sounds good, then I put it in my cart. And then I'll revisit it, uh, my cart, a bunch of times, you know, until I'm ready to, uh, you know, my for my quarterly buys. And as I'm going through, you know, my week to week to week to week, you know, I'm adding stuff that I think I like at the time. I'm whittling stuff out of a cart, you know, as I, you know, review it. And eh, maybe I didn't like that as much or it doesn't sound as good to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And then once I make my purchases, then I start to make notes of, okay, I just bought four from this particular artist or I bought 12 of them from, you know, this particular label. And then I start, you know, making those kinds of connections, but I never limit myself to that. What I'll usually do is Beatport's really good with this, where you can like create my Beatport is, yeah. is yeah. the name of their like little um, product where you can like save artists and labels and then as those artists and labels release things then you get emails you get emails and they'll let you know you know what's coming i used to get caught up on on um labels and artists and things like that there's just so much stuff that comes out anymore right that stuff is kind of secondhand to me now yeah i I use it as a tool like in beatport i'll i'll follow a couple like if i if i find consistently like if i just yes. immediately find like five tracks and they're all awesome right. i'll just go ahead and follow them on right. my feed i won't get emails or anything like that it's so that the next time that i log in i'll just have the little notification number of how many releases they've had since the last right. time i logged in yep. and then i just start there yep but the way that i shop outside of that is i go to my last you know several crates of purchases you know did quote unquote labels, digital crates yeah. and i start checking those labels yeah. and those artists and those people who remixed them and then I check them out and I use that to start branching, branching out. out. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it sounds like we're all in pretty much yeah. the same boat there, but I, I think I find I gravitate more towards producers rather than labels, so rather than labels. Right, 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 yeah. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, to answer the question, I would, I, I would say, um, I've never been disappointed from anything from lightless recordings. If you want to talk about something outside of the big ones, you know, yeah. your Ram, your metalheads and, uh, hospital and stuff I do like, like that. Um, one label I do like is uh, Hot Since Eighty Two's label, um, Deep and Deep and Sound. Deep and Sound. Deep and sound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of releases that comes out on uh, 
on that has been pretty pretty decent. Yeah, and right. I'll, I'll check out. I follow Hot Since '82 though. Yeah, right, yeah. because right. of his label. Yeah, right. Yeah, Sorry, I ch- I'm talking I, real far away from that. <laughs> <laughs> I checked out your your typical house labels like that, Hot Creations, your you know Crosstown Rebels and stuff like that. Um, I like House of Disco. That's a pretty good one. They started out as a blog and they would give away free tracks. So that's how I started following them. Oh, they would okay, just, it was yeah. like a, uh, free track if you shared it or something like that. And they Very, would, you okay, know, yeah, with yeah, I stumbled across a couple of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, but they do a lot of the, the more slow house and disco edits and R and B edits. And so that kind of, you know, patio music, it's, it's sure. great for that stuff. Patio music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my next crate. <laughs> nice. But, but going back to your buying format trip, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> thank you very much you've made my life a lot easier and for those that don't or don't recall or have or haven't listened back that far what trip does is he'll put a bunch of songs in his was it the, there's Beatport a cart there's a cart and then there's where well, there's a cart the and there's, Colton, there's hold bins. hold there yeah, yeah, they yeah. have a hold bin i've got different hold bins for each genre yeah and, and what he'll do is he'll just put everything in his hold bin and listen to it later but beatport is very good about having sales uh, pretty routinely and they get pretty high up to about like 30 or 40 percent off. sometimes as much as 50 yeah the context in which you hear the song sometimes isn't the same as when you go back and listen to it so you're like why did i put that in the crate yeah. right. so that way you don't wind up buying a lot of songs that you wind up never playing you know if i can add to that too because we've talked about that a few times one thing i've never mentioned is that if I go back and I listen to the track and I have that moment where I'm like, why did I listen to this? I have a lot of those. I don't delete it immediately yeah, for really? the same reason that I didn't delete it the first time. Okay. Or maybe the inverse reason. Right. Right. Because something got me the first time. So I wait and see, okay, what's my third reaction then? And I'll base it off of that because maybe I had some other context in mind, you know, or if I just listen to it by itself, I'm like, eh, it's yeah, mediocre, but right. maybe at the time I was like, this would be a great opening track for blah, blah, blah mix or, yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Basically mood dependent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me, I just, it, it uh, to, to finish that thought up, it, it, the, the key for me is to do quarterly buys. Yeah. You know, for some people they got to have the newest thing. So they're buying weekly. And you know, when I was doing that or even buying monthly, I, I just found I was buying a bunch of stuff to be buying a bunch of stuff, and I ended up with things. I probably still have stuff on my hard drive that has never, never been played. Never played. Yep. Yeah. But now when I when I do quarterly buys, you know, I average anywhere between seventy and a hundred bucks, you know, and that's to me that's a lot of money to drop on MP3s, right? Right. And I thought I was doing pretty good because I bought a, that last time they had that progressive coupon, right. I think I bought about 30 tracks and I spent 20 bucks and I was like, whoa, whoa. I thought it was me. I was was expecting a lot bigger number. So I'll have to stock up for the next time. Yeah. So what I, what I do is, you know, when I'm, if I, if there were no coupons and I'm spending 70 to a hundred bucks, but then when they do those progressive coupons and then I'm saving 50%. So then I just bought, you know, you know, I don't know, 40, 50, sometimes 60 tracks for 50 bucks or less. You know, so but the caveat to that, it only applies to MP3 right. format. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> they, they don't. Luckily, Trip told me that. Yeah, they don't. They don't like to give anything on those lossless files. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Next question comes from Diesel Dozer on Facebook. Big Facebook supporter. Yeah. We what's up, you. Diesel? We see you out there. So he wants to know what DJ headphones the gang likes. Man, get off my lawn! <laughs> I use Allen and Heath. Do you like them? Um, I, I, I do. I wish there was a little more low end frequency to them, mm. but I do like them. Um, I've I've had them so long though. The cushions have just 
disintegrated. Disintegrated, <laughs> yeah, and they're a little sore on the ears. But I mean, I've had them for man, at least six years. They haven't fallen apart. The on the pioneers and the stonies where. The little uh, the plastic cup. piece of swivel cut breaks yep. off. Yep. I've never had that problem with the Allen and Heath. So, yep. Uh, How much does that set you back? Less than two hundred bucks. Yeah, I think one eighty nine. I think they yeah. were at the time when I bought them. I think you can get them cheaper now. Yeah, but, oh, I mean, but if they lasted over, you six years, I yeah, mean, six that's years. A good yeah, it's a good investment. Absolutely. Yeah. To Tony's point, I've got in my hand right now a pair of Sony MDR V seven hundreds. I don't even think they make these anymore. They're classic, um, though. Uh, right, okay. yeah. I mean, these were the iconic, you know, everybody had these. This is what everybody used. Um, but the the major design flaw is exactly what he said. There's a crack that will happen right here in the, um, in the swivel uh, mechanism there. And once that, once that goes, then they're junk. So, right. so that pair right there is probably my fifth pair, you know, since 1998, <laughs> you know, and at a couple hundred bucks a pair, you know. I'm, yeah. yeah but. They come highly regarded for DJs. And I, I think it's part of it's because they, they're loud, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Really yeah, loud. They, yeah. They've got a really high decibel rating. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, most people love them. I hate them. <laughs> I've got a pair at home. Don't like them at all. Yeah. I, they're just uncomfortable on my head. I don't. So yep. that's and that's what I prioritize um, for DJ headphones is comfort. Comfort. Yep. More than anything, comfort and loudness. Yeah. And then I worry about sound quality and and bass response and stuff. Um, right. I use a pair of Shure SRH seven fifty DJs. Okay. Yep. I think they were in the one twenty or one fifty range. Um, they're fine. Yeah, for yeah. they fit on my head and they don't fall off. That's yeah. what I care about. Yeah, for <laughs> for my studio, I mean, uh, I mean, this is for production, but I use the SRH 1840s. Okay, um, and I love these. Um, there's a lot of really great production headphones out there, especially uh, open back Audis is like the mm. the 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 standard. Um, but you know, for um, for you know, my budget, uh, these, these were, uh, great for the, for the studio side. A lot of people like those modas. Mm, I know, yeah, uh, yeah, our yeah. friend Kenneth Thomas uses those and, uh, Tom Reed, yeah. our friend here locally uses yeah. those. He was showing those to me the other day at the show. They fit really nicely. When we did the, uh, the control tour and I was listening to those Sennheisers, mm. I mean, there was probably eight or nine different pair they brought, but man, yeah, Sennheiser's they were very pricey, really, but yeah. wow, the sound quality was amazing. Yeah. Agreed. For me, I just, I keep it simple because where I do most of my DJing is loud as shit. iPhone anyway. Earbuds. Yep, iPhone earbuds. No, just joking. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, it's those ones that I actually, I, I told the story where I took them from my son. Um, oh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the right? No, the Skullcandy Hesh oh, 2. Skullcandy, that's and it. And the, yeah. the thing I like about those is the bridge part up on top, it, it's it's got some, it's rubberized, so it's it swivels and it's real super flexible. Yeah, that's You know, awesome. like me, like, you know, I'm taking them off, putting them on you know, constantly, constantly. And then even some of these events, like Dave was with me one time, I'm doing a little bit of announcing, so I'm not really super concerned about sound quality. I'm worried about durability and can I hear. Right. So right. like when I do actually put them over both ears, like it's it's got a good seal. It sounds decent enough to where I can mix. But like I said, what I what in, in the space I operate in, right. you know, people aren't super picky about, you know, whether my transitions were hot or if I was in key or whatever. So right. for me, it's more of a matter of function versus the overall quality well and, and that's that's where those sony's always fell short was the durability because you know when mm -hmm. you're going on and off of you know uh an ear 
you know, all the time, you know, and twisting that up, then yeah. it, that it's that yeah. motion that, that yeah. eventually snaps yeah, that plastic. The thing I like about those specifically because the rubberized bridge part is I can keep it on one ear and, and flex the opposite cup back, and, yep. it, and it, just, yep. it, it pops right back. Yep, I always, I almost always have my right ear exposed yeah. to the whatever monitor mm-hmm. and my left ear for listening closely. Yeah, that's kind of how I do that, and so I, the swivel matters less to me than will it stay on my head when I move it back behind my ear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had a, a pair of Audio-Technica. They weren't DJ headphones at all. They were like uh, in mid-grade studio headphones, I guess. And they got stolen along with all my other stuff, you know, years back. But um, they were super comfortable, and they didn't swivel at all. I just – and I used those. I was perfectly happy with those. I was gutted when those were, <laughs> were gone because I was like – they just, they never hurt, even my current, the Shures, they do hurt my ears if I leave them on both ears for a long time, a long like time, if I'm music right. shopping fatigue, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting note, though, my very first pair of headphones were my mom's, like, hi-fi radio shag. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like I mean. 12 antennas it, pointing uh, out of it. <laughs> <laughs> just. Look like Princess Leia buns yeah, on your yeah, head. Yeah, huge, huge. Or like Rich Moranis from Ghostbusters. <laughs> 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 uh, what I wouldn't give to see those again. But Tim Hayes, also known as Sonic Styles, on Facebook, wants to know, where are my pants? At the foot of my bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, that hey. escalated quickly. <laughs> so I happen to know that Sonic Styles does a lot. Of, he does Jaeger sessions, which is like a, a online stream, and he gets wasted on Jaeger and starts dancing around and tends to probably take his pants off. So and I, pants I, off, I, dance off. I suggest he checks out uh, Right State Radio Studio 1069 <laughs> with, uh, with Ike B. Ike B probably wearing them. <laughs> Looks like Capri's on him. <laughs> he, he's a full-figured man. It's <laughs> amazing. All right. Kelvin Kihara from the VIP list asks, how can I make a clean mixtape using my CDJ 2000 Mark II Without touching my crossfader, I think what he's asking is, can I make, can I record a mix using one CDJ? I, I think that's what he means. Not in one step. Not in one step by itself. Yeah. If he uses it like in Tractor or something and switches decks back okay, and forth with a modifier, then he could do that. Right. If um, you're going straight analog with, or not analog, you know what I mean? But if you're going with physical CD media, then you would basically have to start, stop. Yeah. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, either that or record, record one the track, then bring that one back in and then record the, your next mix right. and then and so on and so forth until you've recorded every mix. And keep it lossless. Keep it a wave file. Right. While you're doing that. Exactly. But um, um, or, I don't I don't recommend that. <laughs> or if you have some kind of outboard gear like your mixer, which can grab a loop or a sample, you sure. could probably pull it off. You're limited with your options there. But right. Or if, if he's using native instruments and he's got a, a controller, he he could do it. It's just going to be a little cumbersome because even like with the S2, you can still use it uh, as a Ford deck, but it's just really. Right. Well, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to manage, but it's yeah. possible. That's what he's saying. Like if you use it as a MIDI controller, basically, yeah. you, right. could, you could right. do it in software. But if he's got two and he doesn't want to touch the crossfader, he can use just the line. The line. Each fader, line, yeah. line faders. Oh, yeah. If, if he if, if we misunderstand the question. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do that a lot. Yeah. 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 When I mix, I don't use I don't use the crossfader. I don't either. I don't either. Yeah. I I have a crossfader so I can play around with scratching, but other than that, I turn it off. Um, the only time I, I I'm more of a crossfader user, but I I really use it a lot when I'm like 
chopping back and forth between two tracks. Yeah. So drum and bass glitch hop, things yeah, like that, yeah. but uh, break beats and such. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, the, the way the question's worded, it sounds like he's got one. Right, it's what mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, but it could have been a typo or something. Yeah, so. that's that's true. So, I mean, if we if we misunderstood, uh, please reach back out because that. Yeah, I think we're all kind of intrigued by that question. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if if for some reason you have no faders whatsoever, I mean, you can use gain control. You could use right. your EQs to pull it off. Yeah. yeah, there's a number of ways you could go, especially if you have like full kill EQs or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Filter the hell out of it. Yeah, Pavan Javaji. From From the the VIP VIP list, list, he asks, on what basis do you make a track list? How do you know which songs to use and continue a set? Let's fire that one over to Tony. You just recorded something last night. How'd that go? I bet it was Uh, hot fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It went fairly well. I... um and you've kind of had an aversion to recording for a long time, man. man. Oh yeah, that's something yeah. we talked about in in the New Year's episode. Yeah, yep. yeah. it's um, it's been a difficult process because I'm my worst critic, as mm-hmm. you know, most artists are. But I mean, it took me a while going through tons and tons and tons of tracks, and even the ones that I selected, I felt like after listening to them four or five times, they weren't the right track. Um, I wanted to find something different, but um, I just really really found the right tracks that I liked that was kind of fulfilling my mood at the time and what I was going for on that mix. And uh, I went with it. And yeah. That's so you just, whatever grabs your mood at that time? At that point in time, yeah. Because I knew, you know, I had a lot of um, a lot of inspiration from the set came from two different directions. One came from um, my best friend that taught me how to DJ in Florida, Brian. He created a... Deep house ish with a little bit of mix of break on his mix and the last song on his uh, on his mix I just kind of went from it and took it into my own direction and the other part of the inspiration came from um, the Sasha show mm. and, and you know I took it back to my Progier roots um, like the sound of that yeah with a little bit of melodic breakdowns and things like that and um, that's the mood that I was going for so. Took me a few to to find those tracks and the right ones that I wanted to use, um, but that's that's how I created the mix. When I'm going into a show, um, you know, I I I base that on whoever the headliner is and my position in that show, mm-hmm. um, and I'll take you know 15, 20, sometimes thirty songs and put them in a crate, and I'll I'll put together my maybe my first two or three just to kind of create that vibe and to kind of get the people locked in just on that vibe, you know, and the rest of it to me is, is all freestyle. Mm. I don't, I don't put them all in a specific order when right. it comes to a live show, because to me it kind of, it's, that's boring. Yep. Same. You know, I, I, I want to do things. It's restrictive. On the fly. Yeah. yeah. For me, it varies greatly when we're talking about live shows, how I approach mm-hmm. it. I've, I've tried a handful of things and I've, I found different methods work for different kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. So like for the Sasha show, I knew that I was, you know, my time slot on that, which was right before Sasha was critical. I knew that it was a big deal for you, Tony, in particular. I knew it was a big deal for our city and for the venue. And I had a lot of people looking at me. And so I wanted to make sure it was perfect. So I, I put more planning into it than I normally would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always start with a base of something. I have like mm-hmm. you, I have a playlist that I start with. Um, and then I'll even put them in a, 
the general place in the playlist where I think it'll land in the night. So right. like if this is like kind of high, en- high energy, I'll move it like three quarters of the way through the playlist and kind of group all those together mm-hmm. and kind of put it. So I have a playlist for the night, but I don't have to follow it strictly. You strictly right. too, don't you? Uh, usually. I, um, what I, what I saw that helped, um, was using the star system that's in yes. factor, the rating system. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one star is more of a beginning part of the set two stars you know a little bit of the way in three stars is mid set four stars are like kind of yeah. like the banger of the set which know? is cool because you can kind of see you can see a little graph mm-hmm. show up in your playlist as to how your right. the energy flows yeah there's also and that's, that human element yeah too because if you're playing a track and you look out into the crowd and you realize that people aren't really feeling what you're playing yeah then you need to realize that you need to maybe go into a different direction Yep. To, to bring them back in. You so know? for for the the Sasha show, I also had, uh, you know, I was playing just on the CDJ 2000s mm-hmm. there. And so I had a separate record box playlist and it was just called Backup. And it was just like pretty straightforward tech house, mm-hmm. nothing crazy going on so that I knew I could reach out of that bag at any time I needed to just mm-hmm. kind of prolong something or maybe Sasha wasn't there yet or right, something right. like that. Or I needed or to, maybe he was checking you out because you, <laughs> right. you were tearing up the turntables. <laughs> or, well, if, or if I needed to push off, like if I knew a peak moment was coming, but I'm like, it's not, it's, it's too early. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd have that grab bag to reach into. So I'm you ain't of, ready for this. You <laughs> ain't ready for that yet. I was thinking more like Pulp Fiction when, when Jules and Vincent like walk down the hallway and they're like, not time yet (laughs) (laughs) and when i'm playing like the loungier gigs um sometimes i do kind of play i'm almost building one playlist over time for those kind of gigs because the bpm varies greatly and i like to mix smoothly and so if i'm playing 100 bpms in the same set that i'm playing 120 i'm either i either need to accept that i'm going to be just quick fading between those Mm -hmm. or i need to plan it out a little bit because there's a lot of when i play those sets i'm playing a lot of vocal stuff r&b hip-hop jazzy stuff and i'm mixing it all together and so i don't want a bunch of clashing and so over time i'll play a set and i'm like okay here's what worked here's what didn't then i'll tweak it a little bit so i play a lot more of the same tracks because i'm playing random gigs so it doesn't matter yeah yeah because i used to play at a pool and i would do that just sort of build up and kind of and bring it back down but it was pretty much the same set list every time and then i know i can jump in at any certain point in the the energy scale on that playlist depending on how active the crowd is at that time oh i better start here and then i just keep going from there when i played the top 40 gigs in the clubs and it was a four hour you know 10 to 2 30 a.m i I never play the hit songs at 10 o'clock right right you know you wait till midnight yeah whatever but yeah so you said for the sasha show it was pretty well scripted and planned out for the most part, I mean, I like I said, I kind of built a playlist, but it gave myself permission to stray mm-hmm. and then had the grab bag as well. So. so then compare that to the gig you had on Tuesday. like Tuesday, Yeah, Tuesday was a lot more random. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I did more of what I typically do for a, a club gig. I, I, I put a playlist together and said, okay, here's my grab bag and sort of arranged them. Yeah, for, for me, I don't remember where I read it, but... I find out how long I need to play and what I'm supposed to be playing. And then I grab twice as much music as I think I'm going to yes, need. That's well, yeah, another sure. good and, point. And like I said, I don't know where I got that from, but it saved my ass a couple of times. Uh-huh. And I remember Tony telling a story about how some uh, DJ that you hired was like, like the other DJ behind him hadn't shown up. And you're like, Hey, I need you to play for another 30 minutes. And mm-hmm. the dude's like, I'm out of music. <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean you're out of music? Yeah. yeah. 
So always prepare for that yeah, uh, that contingency. All right, DJ Ash X from the VIP list. Uh, he or she, I'm not sure, I'm sorry, says, I spin open decks at a music bar in Toronto. I usually spin electronic music and have done short sets from house to trance to techno to industrial. Should I stick to one particular niche or keep trying different subgenres? And then he says, I prefer techno, but noticed more people hit the floor when I did my trance set. So stick to one niche or spread out? I'm the eternal a, DJ question, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm more of a spread out type of person. I don't know if that's just indicative of like an ADD thing, but I, um, I, I, I like taking people on that journey. So, especially if I'm playing four four, I will start off with something more minimal, um, or or heady, you yeah. know, or depending on the uh, on the attitude of the room. Maybe I do start up here a little bit, you know, just to get people's attention or to mix out of somebody. But then I will I will take that left turn at Albuquerque. I don't care. <laughs> and 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 be able to like kind of ride around um, it, different genres or, you know, things that have some kind of a logical flow. Um, I did one set one year um, for a, a, a New Year's Eve party. Where I think I forget how it all started. I think I started off with like the lower BPM range of glitch hop and then went into dubstep and then from dubstep went into, you know, something like houseier or whatever. And then, you know, just kept, you know, going. So by the time it's all said and done, I've touched just about every genre except for drum and bass, you know, yeah. and, and, and everybody was kind of like, wow, it, it, they, it was either that was neat. That was really cool how you did all of that in an hour or, you know, it was, um, you know, people liked, you know, certain parts of it. So at least I had everybody's attention in the room at some point or another. Um, typically I don't do that. go that drastic, but, um, you know, like if I get booked to play four, four, I'll do tech house techno, you know, maybe get a little housey with something or go a little proggy with something or, or even trancey towards the end, you know, but there's always some kind of a logical progression to it for me. Um, to answer the question specifically, should you do one thing or another? What works? You know, what, what, you know, it's a balance between what fulfills you as the DJ and what fulfills, you know, the, the audience, what, what's their expectation or when are they having the best time and all of that? If you just hit somebody with an all trance set, because that's what people are responding to the most, you may find that'll backfire on you because if that's what people are looking forward to, kind of what you were just talking about with, um, uh, you know, you don't play all of your hottest jams at 10 p.m. in a top 40 club, right? Mm-hmm. If you're giving everybody what they want all the time, then they're not going to want it, you know, over time. It, you're, they're they're going to lose interest they'll, in that. They'll turn on you. Right. So, I don't know how long that um, they've been DJing, DJing or, but yeah. uh, I think over time you'll find that you get better at figuring out how to sneak that stuff in like what you want to play, what your peak moments are. Right. And it just, it works when it may not have worked the last time you tried it. And it, I mean, it really depends on the time of night you play stuff, the mood in the room, what you play before and after it, all that, that context or, stuff is huge. Or if you're taking the time to build a relationship with the audience too, it, yes. you know, cause if, if, you know, if you're going to throw something like way out of left field, like they better trust you, you better have built up some trust yeah. before you do that to them. Right. And I mean, if, if the crowd is responding 
more to trance, but you prefer to play techno, well, you can either do a combination of the two. Uh, you can give the crowd what they want. You can force what you want onto them, or you can play trance there and find a techno gig elsewhere. I mean, right. you know, well, you can weave techno and trance in and out of each other. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you can. Yeah. And and I mean, there's especially, especially nowadays. Techno, yeah, yeah, there's so much of that that works together on either yeah. side. Check out a lot of drum code stuff too. Yeah, it's, oh, getting, yeah. Uh, it's got some proggy feel to it now. Yeah, yeah. You're, you, I mean, play to play to the room that you're in. It would be my, I mean, the quick and easy way to say it. Right. Play, play to the room you're in and whatever scratches your itch and, and is working. Yep. And, and maybe experiment them and kind of drop a little bit of something off on them, you know, in the middle of all that. But Yeah, I mean, every every DJ gig is an opportunity to test something. Yeah. And as long as you're not testing 100% of the time, it's okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. I personally, I, I don't like, I look at mine as a, as a service, so I don't try and force stuff on people. Right, yeah. right. And if you're wanting to be known as a techno DJ, then by all means techno. play techno. Yeah. But if you're wanting to be, you know, if you're still at that beginning base where you don't know what direction you want to go, then definitely test the waters in or, all directions. Or just start cross or doing CrossFit events because you can drop on them whatever you want. They have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is going to finish up this episode. This comes from the VIP list from Jahit. It says, "How do I justify continuing my 20-year passion when?" A, I don't make enough money from it to do it as an occupation. B, I'm unable to dedicate the time to it due to family and work commitments. And C, not living in an environment that is conducive to the type of music I play as a DJ, both for demographics and suitable venues. He says currently he's very close to just selling all of his DJ equipment and clearing out the spare room of his house. Mm. Man. Well, if it's a passion, I would say don't do any of the above. Keep it and keep it as a passion. Don't treat it as an as a occupation. Yeah, that's yeah. a good yeah, point. Yeah, that, if, it, if it's, it's not a passion, then move on and you're fine. Right, and but, find out whatever. Maybe he's not sure what his passion is, and but if it's not DJing, I, then why is he asking himself these questions? That would be one thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of what I mean. Why? What? It, yeah. Well, again, what is your why? What? What itch are you scratching there? And if it's not making enough money to do it as an occupation. Okay, understand. Uh, same That's here. about ninety nine percent of DJs. Right, right. So yeah, um, join, unable yeah, to. You're part. You're part of the family on that, brother. Yeah, unable to dedicate time. I would suggest you go back and listen to our episode titled "Advice for Busy DJs with Day Jobs," and maybe there'll be some insight in there. Um, not living in an environment that is conducive to the type of music I play, both for venues and demographics. Um, we've talked about that a lot on this show. Yeah. Um, our own experience and how we've been trying to make that work and had successfully been making that work in Dayton. Carving out your own niche or building your own night, you know, those are always options. You'd be surprised to see how many people you could find that are into your type of music. Um, especially if there's not already somebody trying to cater to that need or doing a good job at it. Um, other than that, you know, we're all a, we all have a global audience anymore. So if you might be happier, you know, maybe you can scratch that DJ itch by putting together, you know, studio mixes or a series or a live stream or a radio show or something like that. I mean, there's there's so many different options here that I would hate to tell you to pick any one. There's plenty of low cost or free options to get your message out there to people. And for the, you know, being very close to selling all your equipment and everything, um, all I will say is make sure that if you decide to sell all of your gear, don't do it in a reactionary way. Don't 
don't, don't flip the table and fuck it, I'm out and then right. sell don't, don't go Rick James on it. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do it in an emotional uh, state. Unless you're in like a financial bind or something and you need to recover those funds, just let your gear get covered in dust for a little bit. Walk away from it for a month or two or six months or 12, whatever mm-hmm. it takes, right. and see if it's it's still there for you when you come back. If not, then you've probably got your answer. Right, right. And by the way, you might not find like 500 people that like the type of music that you do, but if you can find 10 or 20, that's a fun house party. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. right. That's true. Yes, and, it is. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just historically, listen, you guys talk about your most awesome sets. It was probably at someone's house with less than 20 people. <laughs> right. You yeah. I mean, your most is. memorable sets. Because I, I was listening to that the other day. Because yep. I'm a creepy stalker fan. Maybe. <laughs> um, and, you, and you guys all echoed that sentiment, though. Yeah. All right. Awesome episode, guys. I think we'll do this again. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this has been the Passionate DJ Podcast. Later. Bye. Easy. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. All right, we set? <clears throat> Let's roll. All right. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody. Balls. Balls. <laughs> Welcome. Balls. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> it's, it's fine. We'll still use that just at the end of the show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>